Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. We're back again this week just as schools are set to return and schoolboy rugby will return in part. We have a guest who rose through the ranks, through academies to the highest level of rugby, making his England debut against the All Blacks in 2012 and that famous 38-21 victory, racking up over 250 premiership appearances for a variety of clubs and now moving to Japan and the Shoki Shuttles. It is, of course, Freddie Burns. Ladies and gents, how are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, just trying to make the most of this lockdown period in a bit of limbo. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just tick it over. Of course. How have you been sort of keeping busy in lockdown in terms of, I guess, fitness and, I guess, perhaps any new hobbies that you have? Um, well, I'm quite lucky actually. I, I had a little outhouse in my house that when I moved in, I, I turned it into a bit of a gym. So I'm quite fortunate that I've got that. I, I don't use it half as much as I should, but I've got that down there to keep me um, keep me going. And I've also got like a bag of balls so I can go do my kicking and a bit of passing. And then uh, hobby wise, I've actually got into a bit of paddleboarding, the old stand up oh. paddleboarding. So me and my brother bought a couple uh, on Amazon. So sort of in the afternoon, evenings. I'll just go down to the river in Bath and hop on and be on that for, for an hour or two. It's quite a good little bit of, um, bit of exercise. Amazing. Sounds like a lockdown dream. So um, how are the preparations for the move going to Japan? Yeah, good. It's um, slow at the minute. Obviously, visas and embassies and borders aren't open. So it's um, stuck in a little bit of limbo at the minute, which adds a bit of uncertainty and a bit of um, stress. But... You know, we're, we're going through a pandemic, so there's not, not too much we could do. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, roll with the punches and make sure that I'm ready when it does come. But uh, it's, a, it's a learning experience. I'm learning stuff about foreign exchange and trying to set up a, a move to a, to a foreign country, obviously the language and all that sort of stuff. So I've got plenty to keep you occupied, but I wouldn't mind a, a, a definitive date anytime now. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of players are sort of clouded in this uncertainty and just want sort of a definitive answer of yes or no, or like when's it going to happen and so on. 
So, uh, yeah, I guess, no, no. Yeah. so I guess moving on to your club career and talking about rugby. So you started off with Gloucester. You came through the academy system at Bath and moved to Gloucester. What was it like sort of signing your first pro contract? It must have been a dream for you. Yeah, it was amazing. So I, I remember on my 16th birthday, I got a letter through the post inviting me to the Bath um, Academy. So I was I got into the academy. I did a college, uh, a college course just to be tech in the sport um, and train. And then, yeah, managed to play for England under-18s where a few, a few clubs sort of were interested. And Gloucester and Northampton were, were those clubs. So I met with both Jim Mallander and, and Dean Ryan at the time. And I just decided that Gloucester had a history then with Ryan Lamb, Jack Adams, these kind of guys coming through. They were a team that put their faith in the youngsters. And I felt like Bath, you know, they had Butch James at 10 at the time. They were always going to look to bring in a big marquee fly-off. So I thought, right, development-wise, I think Gloucester's the place for me. So I went up there a year at Cinderford and then managed to break in it at 19 into the, into the Gloucester team. Wow. So, so, yeah, so you spent seven years with Gloucester and I guess Gloucester have always been a top team. They've always sort of come quite highly in the tables, but they never quite pushed it and won silverware in sort of the knockout rounds. How did this sort of impact the team? Was this sort of, were there lessons to be learned from this or was it sort of frustrating? Um, I'll be honest with you, I was probably a little bit um, naive to it. Like, as in, because uh, I was so young when I was playing at Gloucester. It was just a joy to like take the field and, and have a crack every week. And we had you know, a young back like guys like Dave Lewis, Johnny May, Henry Trinder, Charlie Sharples. And then we had the experience of guys like Mike Tyndall, Eliotta Sapolu and, and these guys in the mix as well. So we were ambitious, but we probably knew we were a little bit green. And you know, I remember we lost the semi-final to, to Saracens down there. We felt we should have won. And yeah, it does, it does sting and, and you still take performances, but maybe at Gloucester, I learned that going to Leicester that you know, Leicester sort of win at all costs. Whereas Gloucester was, you go out and win with competitive animals. We have a standard of, of I guess it's expectation at the end of the day. The external expectation of what Gloucester should achieve to what Leicester should achieve is a little bit different. Even though the Shed and the Gloucester fans do, um, do demand a, a performance from their, from their team. Yeah, did this sort of change in approach, or I guess the, almost the pressure on the? Did this sort of change how you played as a player? Yeah, I think um, when I look back now, I really see uh, the clubs kind of fit fitted in with a time in my career. So like, I look at my Gloucester days, and that was a young team, a great backline, uh, an attacking team that would just go out and have a crack, and if we won. Unbelievable. We were, the, we were the up-and-coming kids. We were the next best thing. If we lost, it was like, oh, they're still a little bit green, still a little bit inexperienced. So, like, you almost had that get-out-of-jail-free card a little bit when, when things didn't quite go to plan. Um, and then, yeah, moving to Leicester, suddenly you've got to grow up because they're, you know, they don't care about performance too much. It's all about, it was all about results there. And, and the main goal when I was there was to make sure that I wasn't in the first Leicester team not to make the, the top four. As a player, did you have a preference over which sort of style you preferred? I love both because I think it, it developed me as a, as a player yeah. massively. Uh, you know, it happened at the right time almost. Look, yeah, yeah. And like sometimes do I look back and think, you know, those, those days when it's all new at Gloucester, when, you know, I was 19, you're running out of Kingsoak. You know, 
it was just, it was such a quick rise for me into that Gloucester team that those days when like, I almost miss absolutely shitting myself before a game. Like yeah. I miss that, that feeling. Like now, don't get me wrong, there's still butterflies and stuff like that, but you've done it so many times. It's like, you kind of know what to expect and you, know, you wake up and you look at the weather and if it's raining, you sort of go in, God, it's going to be a, it's going to be a shit game today. Like we're going to, yeah, there's not really much rugby playing. Whereas when you were younger, you woke up, it doesn't matter if it was snowing, you were like, I'm a professional rugby player, I'm going to play in front of 15, 16,000 people, like, let's have it, no matter what. Um, so it just, your mindset changes more than anything. Mm. So then after Leicester, I guess you moved to Bath, you went back to your hometown. Was this sort of a dream come true? Was this something you always wanted to do, to play for Bath? Uh, yes, yes and no. Like, it was always a dream growing up to, to play for Bath. Obviously, I was born in the city. I grew up in the city. I used to jump over the fence and watch Bath play when I was younger. So, so it was a dream. But like, I was very happy at Leicester. I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed. I was playing some of my best rugby in my last season at, at, at Leicester, and I kind of felt, you know, if, it, if I if I had my way, I probably wouldn't have left. But I felt, you know, I was a little bit pushed, and it, it was it was just so that Bath at the time. Well, obviously, but there was a draw of my hometown club, and there was, you know. Um, a few promises, not promises, but, you know, saying they wanted to build a team around me and, and get me down there and stuff like that. And I was like, this would be class. Like, it would be good for me to go home, buy a house, set up for the future a little bit. And then it just kind of didn't quite turn out how I, uh, how I thought it would. Where, where do you think it ultimately sort of didn't end up like that? Was there sort of a certain point where you just thought, like sort of perhaps a certain game or perhaps a certain sort of training session where you thought this is it or? Um, no, I think it's, it started off, um, it started off badly for me to say, well, uh, I was, we played that season, of course, that it got fixed that we played Leicester at Leicester first game of the season. And, mm. you know, there was all this whole thing about me and George Ford swapping and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they, that was an important game to me. Like everyone knows how important that is. And they, they put me on the bench. So I was fine. I was gutted, but I, I went to Bath for a concussion. So I actually had a three month stand down from any contact training. So yeah. I understood I couldn't play. I couldn't play till the last preseason game. So I understood being on the bench and also playing against your old club doesn't give you the right to start. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. It's not like, oh, it's Burnsy's old club, like he's got to start. But yeah. they put me on the bench and I was the only, like, a new sub that day. And, like, it just, it meant a lot to me. Even to get on that pitch for, for five minutes would have meant the world to me. And, like, you know, we, we won the game, but I didn't necessarily, it was a new team. I didn't necessarily feel a part of it straight away. Yeah. So that was tough. And then I had to wait a couple of months for my debut and ended up getting red carded on debut, um, which is, uh, is not how you want it to go. It's quite funny, but um, I'll be able to write a hell of a book, I reckon. But um, yeah, so that sort of set off on the, on the wrong foot. And then obviously halfway through, the, through my bath time, obviously dropping the ball against, the, against Toulouse, I kind of feel like things kind of appeared to me to feel a little bit personal after that. I don't know whether, you know, Bruce Craig is very involved with the club. I don't know whether it was a mistake that he sort of deemed that I'd never play for the club again, per se. I, I, I don't really know, but kind of felt after that that the trust had gone from the coaches and 
they didn't really have much interest in, in giving me a shot after that. It's quite interesting because I guess you mentioned the red card and you mentioned dropping the ball. These are sort of perhaps like split second things in terms of, it happens in seconds, but it sort of, it sort of had a big impact on your career. As opposed to, it wasn't sort of a, a mindset that you had, like a training mindset or sort of a lack of enthusiasm, which you definitely didn't have. It, it was sort of these split second things. Did you think it was sort of unfair, perhaps? Or? Um, not, I've, I've felt the, I, I do feel the lack of opportunity back, especially this year. You know, hmm. I, I ended the season well last year, um, starting at 10. And then this year, I didn't, I, I didn't get one start at 10 in the Premiership this year. Even when we were playing poorly or, or not performing, it was, um, it was a stretch. So I do feel hard done by in that sense. Um, but in terms of the mistakes themselves, yeah, like they, they, were, they were split second things. And you know, shit happens at the end of the day. Like, do you know what I mean? I'd never wanted to be that guy who dropped the ball. Like, does it still yeah. hurt now? Of course it does. But am I going to let it ruin me and be, you know, it's funny now, I'll go and do a, a Q&A or I'll do, and the first thing people want to talk about is that drop ball. Mm. And, you know, I scored 20 odd points in that game. You know, yeah. I, you know, if it was me, I could argue that we wouldn't have even been in the game if I, if I wouldn't play it, like, so, or my performance. So, you know, inevitably I lost the game for, for Bath, but, you know, for 75 minutes of that game, I played pretty fucking well. Yeah. It's just like say a split second thing, and and that's the thing with sport, and that's why you got to be thick skinned because you know, people are going to say you know that that you shouldn't play again and all this stuff and question your mentality. My mentality was fine. I made a mistake. You know, you see thousands of players punch the air and celebrate before putting the ball down. It just so happened that that Maxime Adar was was behind me, so it, um, it's tough to take. But at the same time, it's one of those things that. It doesn't define me. I've played too many games to let a split second thing like that yeah, ruin my career. So, you know, I just try and move on. How, how did sort of the squad members and your other teammates react to it? Was it? Were they sort of, did they have the same approach as you or were they a bit more sort of, maybe not hostile, but sort of thought a bit frustrated perhaps? Yeah, of course. And I think at the time as well, you know, a few lads come up and sort of put an arm around me. And, um, you know, it's hard because as soon as the, as soon as the final whistle goes, you know, the, the cameras are straight in your face and you know exactly what they're talking about. And it's, mm. you know, it's the, I, I put a social media post out there um, a couple of months ago about the fact that you know, you, you'd expect the rugby guy in the middle of a rugby field to never feel lonely. And I've never felt more lonely than I did in that, that situation there because, you know, you know, the whole world's looking at you. And I'm normally one of the first to go around and clap the crowd, but just the emotion got too much. So I had to get in the change room and just get out of the, get out of the, the firing line and, and the light that I, that I put myself in. And oh, Jamie Roberts came up to me and said, mate, don't, don't, let, it, don't let it get you because, you know, the boys enjoy you when you're upbeat and you're, you know, you, yourself, you're a bit of a joker and stuff like that. They don't, they don't want to see you down and that. So I got home, I had, a, I had an evening sort of sulking. And then on the Sunday, I texted Todd Blackadder and was just like, look, like, I'm, I'm sorry for what happened. Um, tomorrow I'm going to come in. I'm going to try and be my usual upbeat self, but you know, I, I don't want you to take that as me not, not caring. And mm. I kind of just use humour to get myself through it, get in, take the piss out of myself. Um, and then on the Tuesday, actually, I, I, I broke through in trading and ended up scoring under the post and all the boys are shouting, put it down. And it was raining, so I slid on my belly and then all the boys come in, sliding in behind me and celebrating. So, yeah, they, they, were, they were great. Um, 
at the end of the day, I fucked up. You know, you, you need to take responsibility for that. You need, uh, it would have been fake if all the boys were not bothered about it. I, I almost wanted them to be bothered and that was my fuel for the next week at Wasps away to, to bounce back and, and put in a performance for them. Hmm. Sounds like you approached it sort of really well and sort of took it very well. Um, so I guess I want to move on and talk about your international career. So you start off with England under-20s in the World Championships. What was that like, I guess, touring, at, touring for your country at such a young age? Because I guess you talked about moving to Gloucester as a 19-year-old, being fresh, loving everything, whether it's snowing, raining, sunny. Was that a similar feeling at the under-20s? Yeah, it was amazing. Even going back to, to England 18s, um, I toured Argentina with them as well, which was, which was class. But at 18, obviously, you're a little bit more restricted on, on what you can and can't do. Um, but yeah, our under-20s World Cup was based in, in Rosario. And, you know, the, the Argentinians supported it unbelievably well. We had, a, we had a, a, great, a great group, both in our World Cup group and also in, um, you know, with, with the bunch of players that we had. And yeah, you'd, we let rip, really. We'd, we'd play, we'd have a day off the next day, so we'd play and then a few of us would go out and uh, and let Rick and Rosario, which was um, which was class. And at that age, you know, everything's ahead of you. Everything's exciting. You're you're 19, 20 years old, whatever you are, and you're in Argentina on a trip that's all paid for, having steak for breakfast, in and going out and, and playing against some some world class players and teams. So yeah, it's um, it's a great time. I think a lot of pressure gets put. It's a great stepping stone in the under twenties. One thing I would say, I don't think. That, that age group stuff is the, is the be all and end all of of players making it. You know, you see, you hear some boys thinking that if just because they didn't make England under twenties or England eighteens or England sixteens, whatever it is, that they haven't got a chance of making it. And it's not quite that, but it's definitely when you get to the under twenties, a, a huge stepping stone and a great um, a great platform to be on. Hmm. Also, gives you a lot of experience of what it's like, almost having that sort of professional flavour and sort of touring and sort of being with a set of, I guess, representing your country in that pressure. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think definitely. I think we had a we had a group group a great group of lads and a good coaches set up that 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 let boys enjoy themselves as well. So it was you know we we enjoyed the experience of being in Argentina. You know, I've mm. been on on some tours where you know I toured I toured New Zealand with with England in what, 20, 2014. and because of what happened at the World Cup four four years before and and the name that England got. We were under a lot of a, a lot stricter. Um, I say regime. That's probably a bit harsh, but just a few a bit stricter rules yeah. on what we can and can't do. Um, so you end up not really seeing a great deal of the of the, of the country, um, which is a shame. But no, those under twenty days, we got out. You know, you met the locals. You went out for drinks, party till the early hours. It was um, it was good fun. How does that sort of difference in sort of structure and sort of um, restricting it sort of? How does that sort of impact the players in terms of playing ability? Would you say one sort of helps you sort of be a bit more sort of perhaps creative on the field because you've got a bit, you feel you've got a bit more room to work with? Yeah, you want, you want freedom and you want some responsibility. I think that's the, that's the, the main thing is you know, as, as players, especially now, like coaches, coaches know that they can't really tell you what, what to do. It's, it's yeah. down to, you know, your individual um, your individual self and, and your teammates to, to all look after each other. Um, and you know, that can result. Sometimes you're not too far away from trouble. You hear sort of Mike Brown, Ben Tio having a bust up and, you know, sometimes people just have a couple to drink and, and they don't get on. So there's always going to be friction in places you go and stuff like that. But where you can, you've got to, uh, 
you know, dodge it a little bit, but also, you know, just make sure that you react well when it when it does happen. And you know, that's that's the main thing. You just got to look after each other. I remember Gloucester days with Leslie Vonicolo. Like he was an absolute beast and a legend on the drink, and everyone loved him. But he'd be behind bars quicker than, you know, in five minutes he'd be behind the bar serving drinks. Yeah, and you'd be like, we probably shouldn't let him do it. But then he wasn't causing any trouble. The bar staff were like laughing and in on it and stuff like that. And it was, um, yeah, we could get away with it. But that was just before social media really got big. So I'm not too sure now if there's pictures of, I don't know, a, a big name player behind a bar serving drinks at one o'clock in the morning. It probably wouldn't go down too well. Of course. Well, I think Freddie just said that he's got his Wi-Fi. So I think I'll tell him to join and then we'll sort of pick it okay, up from then. there. That's all right, yeah. Yeah, sound, yeah, just keep keep firing them through. And then I guess you made your senior debut against the All Blacks, which for many England fans is sort of the greatest match that many can remember. So sort of 38-21, sorry, yeah, 38-21 in 2012. It was uh, played against a wonderful team and played with a wonderful team as well. What was it like, I guess, making your debut against the All Blacks? Because surely that's sort of the most extreme you can get to. Yeah, well, to be honest, I've gutted England beat them in the World Cup because I've been dining out on being the only England team to beat New Zealand for the for the last time. Suddenly, it's not as uh, not as important now. But um, no, it was uh, it was amazing. I, I was in a good good bit of form for for Gloucester at the time, and then I actually wasn't in the England squad. And I've said this story before, but I um I went out on the piss in Cheltenham after a game on a Saturday and woke up very hungover on the Sunday from from a phone call from Stuart Lancaster who said that. Floody had picked up Toby Flood had picked up a, an ankle injury and that if he's having a scan today and if it doesn't come good that I'll be on the bench against the All Blacks so I've smashed in a bit of toast splashed a bit of water on my face and driven up to Peniel Park and yeah Floody wasn't good so I, I spent the week knowing that I was going to be on the bench um, I it was, it was a weird like I don't I don't actually remember too much about the week other than just being like unbelievably excited and, and shitting myself um, and then you get like you know presented your shirt the night before and suddenly you're in your hotel room on your own and on the back of your chair in the corner is just an England shirt with your name on it and you're thinking fucking hell like, what, is, what is going on like I was 22 at the time I think so it was like mental and then yeah the, the day getting up I think I managed like half a pancake before like the morning of I was I couldn't eat and then you get on the bus and that drive to Twickenham you know you got the police escort, every car you pass is an England flag, every pub you pass is rammed. And yeah, it was amazing. And then to face the hacker, watch the boys go out and, and Manu run riot and, you know, Faz kick his goals. And then with, I think, about 18, 20 minutes to go, Mike Cat looks at me and he's like, Fred, you're on. And I'm thinking, shit. <laughs> um, and yeah, just basically, I'll kick a couple of goals. And like you say, that was one of the best New Zealand teams or one of the best sports teams that's ever that's ever lived. So to have beat them with that team was was just unbelievable. And yeah, I probably should have retired from international rugby after that day, really. Of course. <clears throat> so was there like um, was there much of an initiation process before? So with the squad, did they did you have to do anything? We've had some quite funny stories from previous people. Yeah, so the initiation afterwards is a drink with every member of Every player and every staff member. So I don't have to be in the All Blacks. That was a lot of drinks. 
oh, so like we're in the showers and you know, we're, you know, boys are lobbing bottles and one of them's hitting them with his dick and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Just like we're just it, it's, it's loose as it can be. And then uh, all I remember actually is, is I completely forgot about the cap ceremony. So then, like, boys are piling me with drinks and I'm absolutely shit faced. And they're doing the, the speeches and I'm like, sat there hammered. I can hardly speak, whatever. Next thing you know, the president of the RFU or whatever is like, oh, we'd just like to take this opportunity to welcome Freddie Burns up on, on stage to collect his cap. And I'm like, trying to walk through the tables, like elbowing people, like struggling, get given my cap. And as I'm walking back, uh, Dan Carter stops and sort of shakes my hand and, and has a few words and stuff. And I'm just like, and like, you know, when you're trying to talk to someone, trying to concentrate, but you're just sort of like swaying. That's <laughs> all I was doing. Uh, and, then I, and then I sang on the bus on the way home and the rest is history. I just woke up on, on the bedroom floor of my, my well, on the heated floor of my bathroom at Penny Hill Park with a little pile of sick cooking next to me. What do you sing? I sang Don McLean American Pie. Oh, classic. <laughs> which actually, which actually, I must say a story, which uh, a year later, we played, we toured Argentina with England and we weren't really allowed out and stuff like that and we managed to blag a night out and um, we, Stuart Lancaster took us to a karaoke bar, staff and players, and Ben Foden's got up and sang, Paul Doran Jones has got up and sang and all that stuff. They've called me up to sing. And Richard Wigglesworth looked at me and gone, mate, I dare you to call up Stuart Lancaster afterwards. I dare you to call up Lanny to sing. All right? So I've sang, I, I sang something else and I've sang and I've just started going, Lanny, Lanny, like this. He didn't want to get up. He's got up to sing, right? He's picked Don McLean American Pie, but the one that's got a four minute instrumental in it. Oh. So he's had to sing and then stand on stage for four minutes, dying before finishing. Yeah, I don't think uh, how I got capped for England again after that, I never know. But he hated me that night. <laughs> so I guess yeah. So you're moving to Japan next. We briefly touched on it before. So I guess you spoke about how you wanted, you like the quicker game, how you want to show your attacking flair and sort of present your attacking sort of skill um, set. Are you excited to move to Japan? What are sort of the new opportunities that you you think you'll come across? Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. Obviously, it comes it's a little bit daunting as well going out to a foreign country where you know, the language and the culture is is vastly different. You know, you see a lot of boys go to France and stuff like that, but you know, culture is quite similar. You can pick up the language pretty easy. But um, yeah, so it's it's a huge experience to gain life experience and rugby wise. You know, I think. Uh, I, I want to go out there and, and attack and, and show that. Um, but also, you know, they, you get a lot of Islanders over there. You get a lot of, you know, the Southern Hemisphere boys over there. So it's not going to be a, a case of going over there and just throwing the ball about. So I'm really uh, excited of, of the challenge. And, you know, after 10 years in the Premiership, I just felt like the time was right just to, just to get a little bit more experience, play against a different group of players and just see what, See what really see what really happens with it. Did the Rugby World Cup have an effect on your decision of where to go? Having seen how much they love the game in the November. Yeah, a little bit. It definitely made it easier. Obviously, seeing seeing what they did with the with the World Cup definitely made it made it easier. But um, yeah, I just think it's a great country. It's a developing rugby country as well, which is exciting. So the team I'm going to is. They've just been um, promoted from the from the second division up to the top top league. So 
you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough, and it's going to be a team that hopefully I can get in and, and help um, help develop and you know bring a couple of young, exciting Japanese players forward a little bit and, and try and help in that sense as well. So it's um, you know it's going to be an experience. I don't really know exactly a hundred percent what I'm getting into, but I guess we'll just uh, get on a plane when I can and, and find out. Hmm, of course. Well, I guess recently, as I guess as you're leaving, you sort of talked about sort of the return of the Premiership and sort of the dates. You've mentioned how in 28 days it seems absurd that some teams are going to have to play seven games. That's on average four, um, four days between each game. Do you mind if you elaborate quickly on sort of the effect that this is going to have on the players? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's completely ridiculous. I think talk about player welfare. Um, you talk about. You know, you, you look at France, I believe, I, I might not be able to with this, but I believe the French League just can this league off and then they're starting again in September. You know, yeah, there's got to be, there's got to be compromise. People are going to have to do, you know, we want rugby to, to succeed and, and still be around in, in a year or two's time. We don't want to see these, these great clubs sort of go under. But at the same time, there's got to be compromise from both ends of the, of the, of the scale. And I, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like there is. I feel like players have been asked to put their bodies under more stress, play more games in, in a shorter period of time on less money. You know, I, I saw an interview the other day, I didn't read it all, but I think Alex Reader did an interview about him. He, he reckons he's going to need a knee up in his late 30s because his knees are shot. You know, that's the kind of thing that people don't see. People see you play on a Saturday, but it's like, boys are going to be fucked in years to come. If they're not, if they don't, if they're not fucked now, they'll be... It's just, you know, this whole player welfare and you see people shout it around and, you know, boys are being cornered into signing contracts because they have to. And, and it's just like... It's just a horrible position to be in as a player. And I feel like they're sacrificing both their salary and, and their health in trying to do this, this schedule, which is, which is ridiculous. Hmm. So just before we wrap up, as we've got one question which we ask every guest when they come on. We ask for their favourite moment in their careers. I mean, I'm going to guess yours is probably going to be your debut, but is there anything else which really stuck out for you as a highlight? Yeah, I've actually got... I, it's really hard. I've actually got, I've actually got three. They're, obviously, the England debut is, is one. That's, that's great. Um, my, my last game for Leicester at home at Welford Road was, was huge because I remember... And we played Sale, and I was like, I scored that day, which was unbelievable. And I was just filled with emotion because of how it how it happened. And they took me off with about ten minutes to go, and I got a sort of a standing ovation from from Welford Road, and they all sort of chanted my name and stuff. And it was just kind of like one of those things where it was just a great sense of like appreciation that I felt from from the supporters, which was amazing. Um, but for me, I think the one that tops it for me is tops them all is. I made my last ever game for Gloucester. Um, Henry Trinder went down in the warm-up. So my little brother ended up coming on at uh, starting the game at 10 and I moved to 12. So to play with my little brother in a premiership game and also it was his first premiership start. So it was like a special occasion for him. And I think we're two normal lads. Do you know what I mean? We're not, like, we're not sort of privately educated boys or do you know what I mean? We're not from your typical rugby um, rugby background and, and we've not sort of had any any help getting getting up through the ranks so to to be two alongside each other was um, 
was an amazing an, an amazing moment and a hell of a piss up afterwards. Sure. Well, Freddie, I'd just like to say thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It was really fascinating hearing, I guess, sort of the players' views and sort of hearing sort of the stories and sort of what, what each player goes to when they play an international game, a club game, their first game and many other games. It was, um, yeah, it was really interesting. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And all, all the best of it. Yeah, thanks I never so much, I really. help out any, anyway, but just, uh, yeah, just message me or whatever and we'll sort it out. Of course. Thank you. Legend. Good luck in Japan. Take care, right? Thank you. Podcast Network.